Well, I'm in a series entitled Compelled. And in this series, we've talked about what it means for God's people to live in God's redeeming love. And we've basically drilled a, a, a definition of this word compelled into this brief, concise phrase that compelled simply means that God's people live as we've been loved. We, we live as we've been loved. And, and we live because of God's full devotion to us that what we're living to grow a full devotion to the Lord. And a life of full devotion to Jesus is compelled to live sent. Now that word sent is an acronym that I've been working through for the last two weeks and I'm going to continue today. The first week we talked about the first posture of what it means to live compelled. It's a life of surrender to the Lord. The second week we talked about the second posture of what it looks like to live compelled and that is the posture of expending our life, that we're compelled to expend our life. And today, we're going to look at that third posture that we are compelled as Christians to invest our life for God's kingdom. Today, I want you to walk away with this main point, that Christians live compelled by God's love to invest their life in the body of Christ, to build others up, and to send the gospel forth, that Christians live compelled by God's love to invest their life in the body of Christ to build others up and to send the gospel forth. I'm going to start today with the end in mind, if you will. I have two potent testimonies for you this morning. One of them's by video, and that's what we're going to begin with. I want you to turn your attention to the screen and hear a video about the difference it makes when we invest our lives in the local church. And you might recognize these people as well. Hey, LifePoint, so good to see you all. My name is Caleb Fritz, and this is my wife, Amy. And this is Emma, and this is Grayson. We had the privilege of attending LifePoint and serving there for um, just under five years. Uh, I started off serving in kid life. I asked Pastor Chris where the greatest need was, and he said kid life, so I stuck there. When Amy started coming to LifePoint, she yeah. also served there. Yeah, I started off um, helping him a little bit, but then I worked in the two-room classroom, gosh, for probably three or four years of my time at LifePoint. We got some great practice with little ones, as you can <laughs> yes. see, um, which is great. And then I also ended up serving, um, leading the usher teams. We led a community group together. I know, and we all, I also got to help Pastor Lane. Um, uh, we're just working out of his office and serving alongside him. So we've really served in a variety yeah. of capacities. Uh, we absolutely loved serving at LifePoint. You know, it was just incredible, really, to be able to invest our lives into just a healthy, growing thing that is LifePoint Church. And we, it's the kind of investment that you really re get back returns immediately on, and we really felt that in our lives. Absolutely. Um, you know, Coming to Life Point, it was so evident that people were serving us and yeah. our, well, not even family yet. We weren't even married when we first started attending yeah. Life Point. And just in return, just in a form of even gratitude, we wanted to serve back and give back to the local church um, and to our church family. You know, it really is a family. And it, it changed our lives. It changed the way we see church, the way we do church. Yeah. Um, we just absolutely loved it, loved our time there. We miss it dearly. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, yeah, everything you said is just right on. Like, what we received in giving of ourselves is 
so much greater than the little bit that we really offered up in serving. Yeah. What, I'm, what I'm getting at is just the value of serving is is worth so much more than really what you put into it at whatever level. If you're serving in kid life or serving administratively or on the worship team or whatever, like whatever you put in, you get back like a hundredfold. Yeah. Um, and we're a living example of that. And to do that within the context of just a healthy church um, full of people that are centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ there's just a substance there that you don't get everywhere. Um, and there's just so much value in serving in the context of a healthy church. Yeah. Uh, sorry, another uh, kid bit the dust. Um, they're slowly having meltdowns. They're safe. They're just uh, out of frame. Grayson's over there just kind of smiling at us. But um, just to wrap this up, really, Pastor Lane, in reaching out, asked me to answer, asked us to answer this yeah. question. Why is it so important for people to invest in a healthy church so that lives can be impacted and changed. And I would say the number one answer to that is just simply, it works. Yeah. When you choose to serve and to invest in your church, it works. People get saved, people become disciples, people find community of hope and healing. It just works. Healthy things grow when you sow into them. Absolutely. Um, to go off that, it doesn't matter in what capacity you're serving. Maybe you're yeah. serving coffee, maybe you're serving an infant room, or hosting a community group. In all those areas, you're impacting people's lives. Yeah. You're having encounters with people and you're showing them the love of Jesus. So all of that to say, it really does, it matters. That's so good. I mean, I heard one pastor say it this way, the church is not built on the talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of so very many. And Life LifePoint is just a living, breathing example of that. Yeah. As we have personally experienced, LifePoint Church is a church built on people who have sown into it with blood, sweat, and tears, sacrifice that have made LifePoint a healthy, safe, awesome, just incredible family of God. And we are so thankful for LifePoint's influence in our life, a place where we basically met, got married, had a kid, uh, did the whole nine yards, and we obviously miss it dearly, but we are so thankful to um, the leadership of LifePoint, and really all of you, because we all make the church. So thank you, LifePoint, for just continuing to be an awesome place where people can serve and uh, just pour their lives into. And I think Emma wants to say hi one more time. Emma, can you say hi? A few moments later. We love you so much, LifePoint. We're so thankful for you and your influence, and are just believing that the best is yet to come. So our prayers are with you. We love you guys. Emma, can you say bye-bye? Say bye-bye. Love you guys. Love, love you, Life Boy. Why is it important for people to invest in the church to impact lives? Now, for those of you who know Caleb and Amy, that video is very indicative of Caleb in the way it is made. Very, oh, hey, why, you know, squirrel, and uh, those kinds of things. Um, I show that video, though, because I want you to see this. They didn't come to us as a young family with children. They came to us as two college kids who God brought together. And then a few years later, as he grew them up and matured them through our church, he called them. And now they serve in a church in Hotlanta, Georgia, uh, and are serving him there. But I want you to see a picture of much of what we're talking about today by investing in the church. You see, Christians invest in the church because that's God's plan to accomplish his purposes and his will in the world. And so as we look today, I want us to see what is it that God's word says about investing in the church? How is it? 
And I'm going to share with you five principles today, very simple principles of how it is we invest our lives in the local church in order to build others up and to send the gospel forth. I want you to go to Exodus 35 with me today. I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. And I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I'll tell you where I'm at so you can follow me. Verse 4 says this, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breast pieces. Verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. And then go down to verse 20. When Moses had finished the commandment and all the description of it, it says this, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. Verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word to, today. With a vast array of gifts and items, everyone, it says, whose heart was stirred, participated to make an offering, to invest in the church, in the people of God. The first principle I want you to see this morning is simply this, that investing originates from the heart to demonstrate God's spiritual work in our life. You see, when Moses commanded the people of Israel to invest in this building of the tabernacle, he appeals to their heart. And that's what they were doing. There was no place for them to gather in worship. And because of this era of history, there was no place for God's presence to reside and for the people to understand that God's presence was among them at all times. And so they were building a place, the tabernacle, where they could do that. And the way that Moses goes about this is he says, all who have a willing heart, whose heart and spirit are stirred, I want you to participate in the way that God has given you to participate. You know, Jesus teaches this as well, that one's heart always reveals where their treasure rests. And where a person's treasure rests tells us where their heart resides. For the work that we do to serve God's kingdom mission in the world demonstrates the work that God is doing in our own hearts. It cannot be understated, friends, that the investment that one makes in the church always reveals that which is growing in their heart. And that's an encouragement and a challenge to us. For the way that we invest in the church, it reveals God's work that is taking root and growing in us. 
I have one other testimony for you today. I want to introduce Chris and Lori Hyde. I had the opportunity several months ago to, to spend some time uh, talking with Chris and Lori. And in the midst of the conversation, Chris just began to tell me how it was that he became a Christian. It was only about 11 years ago. And then as a Christian, they both began to share this story with me about how God convicted that they need to begin to tithe and to invest in the church. And that wasn't necessarily an immediately united decision. But I want you to hear it in their words. That's how it is. <laughs> no, you start. Uh, I thought this would be easier second service. No, no. <laughs> um, like Lane said, about 11 years ago, um, Lori and the kids had been going to church for a while. And um, I like to watch football and fish. Well, Sunday was football day, so... I was staying home, and um, there was a gentleman in the crowd, don't know who he was, had a sign, John 316 written on it, just a cardboard sign, and um, as I told the first service, in, in my arrogance and my self-righteousness, I knew exactly what that verse was. The meek shall inherit the earth. And I thought, I haven't read that verse in a long time. That's probably back when I was in, I don't know, eighth grade or something. So I went, I knew where the Bible was in the bedroom, went and got that and knew how to look the verse up and read that verse. And the Holy Spirit just illuminated that to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him would have eternal life. And I give my life to Christ right there. Uh, And a point I didn't make in the first service that I should is that guy, he'll never know that he saved someone or helped lead them to Christ. But he was there, and Christ used him. So you never know when when Christ is going to use you and always be open to to giving. And, um, wow, he just started to open up the scriptures to me, and it's been a a fast-paced life since then, that's for sure. Um, Chris and I came from opposite viewpoints about what our giving to the church should look like, whether it was tithes and offerings or serving and helping. Um, As his walk with the Lord deepened, he became more generous, not only with money, but with helping people. We had a family close to us that had a lot of needs, and and we helped with that. And uh, as he became more generous, I really started struggling with that. Money's always been a stronghold for me. Um, I was raised to believe you save every extra penny that you have and you put it away for a rainy day or if an emergency comes up. And here's Chris every Sunday saying, I think we need to increase our our tithing and and I think this family needs help or I want to give some time to the church that we were going to. And I was really having a problem with that. And as I told Lane, every Sunday morning became 
some sort of an argument or a heated discussion about, number one, how much the tithes should be and, and what we were going to do once we got to church and, and things like that. Um, after one particularly rough Sunday, uh, the next day after Chris went to work, I sat down and I took my Bible and I thought I'm going to look up every entry about tithing and offering and money that I can find because I'm pretty sure in there somewhere I'm going to prove my point. But thankfully, in his mercy and grace, the good Lord saw it differently. And I didn't find anything that made my point. In fact, I found several things that really convicted me. Um, I kept reading about giving cheerfully. Uh, I knew I was not a cheerful giver. I was a reluctant giver. Um, another one I found was given proportion to what you have received. And I thought, hey, you know, I'm doing my part. And, and the Holy Spirit said, no, you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's what you were given. And there's no way you will ever be able to pay back in proportion to what that gift was. Um, and then another one that I just knew for sure that was probably going to prove my point was, um, I went totally blank. <laughs> paper, and I didn't bring my glasses to read it. <laughs> so we're stuck now. Um, so I went through all of these things, and I, I just thought to myself, um, these are not proving my point. And I really felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit that my heart was not in the right spot. And um, I said, I got down on my knees in our front room that morning, and I just prayed that the Lord would would uh, change my attitude and, and change my heart about it and that he would open my eyes to see my shortcomings and, and I asked for his forgiveness. Um, that next Sunday, I gave the checkbook to Chris and I said, it's up to you. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to turn this all over to the Lord. Um, I'm not going to think about it and think about our situation. Um, and in good times and bad, the Lord has always provided for us. There's never been a time of want. Um, there may have been times we had to be a little more careful than at other times, but we, we've, the Lord's always been there with us. Um, and it, it gives me peace and comfort to know that in some way what we're doing, you know, we may not be in the trenches serving on committees or, or doing things, but we're able to contribute in that way so that the, the word is being spread to people who need to hear it. So it was still a struggle. Um, but man, the, the more we were convicted to tithe and help, the more the Lord blessed. And, and like I told first service, you know, we immediately think of money as blessings. I mean, that's the way the world works, you know, get this and get this and you'll be blessed and but how many times if you try and get that, do you, you move on to the next thing that you got to have? Just like the new iPhones. People stand in lines because they're on, their new, they're on their phone working this one to get another one. You know, that's the way, we, that's the, way the world wants us to work, to spend our money. But uh, he, he has blessed us tremendously. Um, part of the reason Lori had issues with what I, what I was trying to communicate to her was I was on a commission basis only. So, like I said, the, the more I give my life over to him and, and what he was doing in our lives, the more he blessed. And you cannot, 
You cannot give out give the Lord. He will bless you in more ways than you can ever think of. And uh, he brought us to Life Point about a little over three years ago. Our daughter invited us to come because we were hurting from the church we were at. And uh, we've been attending faithfully, probably, could I say that, for that time now. Uh, and, and we call it home. turn it back over to Lane for a minute. Thank you all so much. <laughs> Would you thank them for sharing? I heard this early on and I've learned it throughout my ministry, but anytime you talk about money in the church, it's always a matter of the heart and not the pocketbook. Uh, and that's why we aim at staying focused on Jesus and his mission in what we're doing. Uh, because a Christian invests in the church as an overflow of what God's doing in their heart. And that's what it shows us. The second principle I want us to see today is this, that we invest and invest engages our whole life, our time, our talent, our treasure, as well as our talk. In this passage in Exodus, we see that it was, it was the spirit of God. It was the work of God in the hearts and the minds and the spirits of the people that stirred them to invest their life. But when they invested, it engages the whole of who they were. It not only uh, gold and silver and, and, and ram's hair and goat's hair and, and yarn that they could spin. I mean, it was whatever it was that their life was vested in and as they gave of that to invest in the church, that's the way God used them, both in their time and in their talent as much as their treasure because some of their investment was not only to bring the goods but was to create from the goods, the craftsmen and the women in their weaving and in their crafts as well. You see, Exodus shows this principle that the work we do for the kingdom is all-encompassing of our life. That, that God's not taken a sliver or a piece of our life like we so often want to compartmentalize our, our life. But they gave of their wealth and they also gave of their natural ability. And both of those were demonstrations of the work of God in their heart because the way they served was a stirring by God within them. And that's how God designed the church to accomplish his spiritual work through his people giving and serving. You see, God is glorified when we invest in the life of our local congregation, our church. When we utilize our talents, our natural abilities, and our natural strengths and expertises and the skills that we've honed and developed in our life. But God is also glorified when we invest our spiritual giftings and those, those abilities and giftings that are put up on us sovereignly by God and his spirit working in us to be able to serve the mission and move it forward in the local church. But God is also glorified when we give of life's treasure so that the work and the mission can move forward. I'm using two men in our church in this season because they've been in front of our congregation over the last several weeks. But Matt Salidam and Mike Wolf have demonstrated what we're talking about here. They have given of their self behind the scenes to exercise their natural giftings and their talents and their skills to serve our body. They've done this for months, years really, but specifically for our campaign, they've done this for months. 
But friends, what they've done is not only serve out of their natural expertise or their own professions, they've given inordinate amounts of time to be able to do that in addition to their work and in addition to their serving the church for this season. And we're thankful for that, but, but they've done it with such a way that, that God has stirred them to do it, to move the mission of our church forward. And let me explain what I'm saying, because they've done it in such a way to help us as a church unite around what God is doing so that we can see the work in its, in its essence and move it forward. But let me tell you, that work that I just described that they've done will not be the greatest work or the greatest impact that they leave on this church. And I'll tell you why. Because both of those men disciple weekly as a regular part of their life. One leads a community group, the other teaches in kid life every week. And the greatest impact they make, while they have blessed us immensely as a church by the demonstration of their professional skills and expertise in leading and helping us, the greatest impact they make will come from the testimonies of people's lives that have been radically touched and changed because of the way God's just using them every week in community group and in teaching kid life. And I don't have time right now, but I could tell you two powerful stories exactly of the testimonies that have come recently from those men's influence in community. You see, God is glorified when we intentionally use our time, our treasure, and our talent to invest in the church. But God is also glorified when we intentionally invest by using our tongues to encourage and to build one another up. Have you ever thought about this? That the using of the tongue intentionally in the church is the fundamental strategy of God for his mission of the gospel in the world? To tell the good news. The tongue's it. That's why James says, with this instrument, it's so potent and powerful because you will either bless or you'll curse. You'll either build others up and you'll either invest or you will inject venom and you will, you will curse other people as a, a spark creates a wildfire. That's the two images that James uses. And he speaks of the importance of our tongue. You see, the way we talk in the church directly impacts whether we're investing to strengthen it or to damage the mission of it. And Christian, every effort that you expend, every minute that you serve, every dollar you give, and every word that you speak is designed by God to strengthen the mission of this church and to move it forward as he grows you and as he grows you up among us all. You see, Christians invest in the church by our God-given gifting those natural talents as well as our spiritual giftings, by our God-given prospering, as you just heard from uh, Chris and Lori, through our God-honoring allocation and generosity as well as our God-glorifying encouragement to one another. How potent it is for us to be careful to intentionally speak words that bring courage and strength and hope and light to one another because you just never know when somebody walked through the door today on their last limb. And that simple word can turn a bad day into the best one they've ever had. The third principle we see is this. Invest grows as one matures and it compounds spiritual growth in all of their life. Some of you will be familiar with this prop right here. It is the beginnings of the greatest sport God's ever given to humanity, the sport of baseball. It's a godly sport. That's why the scripture starts in the big inning. 
Listen, friends, I wouldn't be a real pastor if I didn't use jokes like that. If my jokes are actually funny, you'd have to fire me because I'd be more of a comedian than a pastor. But I prove myself when I use jokes like that. Oh, he's got to be a preacher. His jokes are horrible. And you laugh. This is a baseball tee. You see, a baseball tee is one of the first tools, instruments that you use to teach a child how to swing the bat to hit the ball. And as you do, you're teaching them that they can't hack at the ball, they can't chop upwards at the ball, but they've got to learn to swing straight through to find the sweet spot on that bat to make sure that when the bat contacts the ball, they're watching it all the way, but they find that one little band in their stroke where the greatest power of their stroke meets the ball and they can send it to the furthest reaches of the field. That's what a tee is all about right here. And you know how it works? You put a ball on there, the kid steps back, hopefully by the time daddy's got out of the way, and he swings his little head off. He swings his little heart out. I mean, he just swings his arms off thousands and thousands of times. And do you know when a kid stops using this? They stop using it two times. They stop using it when they go up to bat, because after T-ball, nobody's impressed that you can hit the ball off a tee. Big hitters don't step up to the plate. Tee the ball up and then hit it. And people pay big money to see that, right? No. But the second time you stop using it is when you stop playing baseball. Because you don't ever forget what you learn on the tee. It is foundational to everything that you learn about hitting. And the greatest hitters in the world continuing or continue to take thousands of swings at a ball off a tee because it is the foundation and the fundamental for how it is that they will excel in their hitting when they get in the batter's box and the game is on the line. When I talk about investing in the church and we talk about faithful giving, friends, we're talking about what it means for us to never forget the fundamentals and the foundation upon which we build our life. Because no one hits in baseball by forgetting the lessons they learned on the tee. And no one invests in the church by forgetting or excusing the foundational lessons of what it means to steward our life in such a way, time, treasure, talent, yea, even talk, to steward our lives in such a way that builds not only the church, but our lives. You see, spiritual maturity manifests itself in every area of life. But what Paul says, what Jesus says, and what Moses has said, especially spiritual maturity manifests itself in our giving. And the most fundamental foundation for us in giving is that faithful stewardship, that faithful giving, because it reveals a heart that rests in Jesus. Remember this, a treasure invested is a heart rested. That's what Jesus tells us because he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will rest where your treasure has been invested. Faithful giving begins with that principle of proportion that Lori talked about. You're not held accountable before God for what someone else has, only what he's given to you. 
And when we live out God's love in us, we give, the scripture says, according to the way that God has blessed us. So you see, every time we give an offering, we're making a statement about God. That this represents what he's given to me. This represents the way that he has blessed me. But faithful giving also serves us as a, as a discernment and a diagnosis of our heart. As a discernment, it shows where it is that our heart rests. That our heart rests with Jesus or not. But it also gives us a means of diagnosis because it leads our heart where it needs to trust when it wants to stray. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, the old hymn reminds us. And how true that is of our hearts. But friends, when we practice faithful giving, it puts our treasure of life where we believe because of Jesus our heart needs to reside. And so it becomes a leash, a tether to lead our heart to Jesus. But then faithful giving also grows us into generosity it helps us not just to be generous in the giving, but in all of life. You see, sometimes we invest our treasure because God's love fills our heart. And at other times, we invest it that we might loosen the hold that the world has on us and rest in Jesus. Both of those produce Christ-like maturity within us. And so faithfulness in giving that leads to generosity also fuels within us a readiness and a desire to commit to the Lord's work and to see it completed. As Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is that progression of Christian maturity and stewardship that we demonstrate faithfulness in giving to show that our heart is tethered and anchored to Jesus and that faithfulness in giving grows us into generosity and the practice of being generous in all of life. But that generosity prepares us. It fuels in us a readiness to give. God, I want to be able to give. I want to be able to give more. I want to be able to give more often. I want to be able to give in more kinds of situations. So there's a readiness to commit to that work. God, you give me the opportunity and I'll invest in that and be generous in the midst of that. And when that opportunity comes, it's not just the work and going, here's my investment, but I'm investing because I know this is God's opportunity for me to grow and mature and I'm going to see it through all the way till it's finished I'm going to finish the work because that's the way God works in us he completes what he starts you see the way we give reveals the way God is working in us and our biggest problem and challenge regarding giving is that we somehow see it as disconnected from all the other work that God is doing we want to think that our giving doesn't represent God's working in us but that's not what Paul says at all as a matter of fact when Paul identifies God's spiritual work in the Macedonians he goes right to their giving and what he says is this that they not only gave what they were able in other words, what God had given to them, they were giving in proportion. He said, but they gave even beyond what they were able. They made some cuts in their life so they could give more to the work of God. And they gave in such a way that God had given to them. And then he anchors his whole teaching on this promise in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, that says, and God is able. That's funny, isn't it? That's usually the answer to the first question that comes up when God calls us to give, but God could you. And those four little words are convicting, encouraging, and empowering, and God is able. And here's how God speaks to us of money and giving. Listen for those words in this verse. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things 
at all times. You may abound in every good work. You see, there's no disconnect between our giving and God's spiritual work in us. The grace of God in us always flows out in our giving. And so the increase of God's grace grows faithfulness and generosity, a readiness to give to complete the work, and it produces an increasing joy because we are maturing in Christ. But there's even a greater benefit, and this is where I want to come back to the idea of that compounding investment because a regular pattern of personal investment in the congregation produces a compounded spiritual growth and maturity. When you invest in the church, Jesus makes sure that not only you but also that others lack nothing and that they overflow with all things. You see, the purpose of all investing is not only personal, but it is congregational. It compounds more than we could in our individual giving. And so when you invest in the church, God blesses your whole life more than you could have ever given away with your life. The fourth principle is a short one, but it's an important one. And if investing leads to growth and maturity, the opposite of that is true as well. A failure to invest always leads to spiritual decay. Failing to invest in the congregation in any of these areas, not just in our giving, but any of them, leads to spiritual decay. You see, when your treasure's not in it, neither is your heart. And when your heart's not in it, God can't put it back into you. Why? Because you've guarded your heart against God instead of for God. There is no neutrality in the Christian life, friends. You're either growing and maturing or you are atrophying. Lukewarm, neutral Christianity is always an offense to God's glory. But listen, it's also always a spiritual arrhythmia to you. The very heart of your life is weakening and atrophying. The fifth principle that I want you to see may actually be the hardest for us to hear. Your invest proves why you're here. Paul tells the Corinthians I want you to prove your earnestness. I want you to hear of what others have done and be challenged by that and prove the genuineness of your love for Jesus through the completing of your commitment and give. You see, friends, your investment may always feel like it's more, like, God, I'm giving more than you've given to me, or I'm giving more than I ought to have to give in this situation. Everything you just heard in that testimony, that's what it feels like at first. But God always promises, as you also heard, you will not outgive him. You cannot outgive him. It will not end the way you feel it begins. When you invest in the local church, your personal investments will far, far outweigh your own impact. It will far outlast your own influence and it will far outlive your own involvement. You see, what Paul says when he challenged the church was this, prove the authenticity of your faith and the genuineness of your love for Jesus through the generosity of your life. Prove you are compelled by the way you live, to invest in the life of the local church so you can grow and grow up, so others can grow and grow up, so the church as a whole can grow and grow up, and so those who are far from God can hear a good news that God is not far from him as we send the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'll close with two scriptures that I want to share with you. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 3.16, and here's what it says. I want you to see how this 
gathered, this corporate impact comes together. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If you look at your footnote on that verse, that word for you is not individual, it's plural. He's not talking to a person, he's talking to God's people. He's talking to a local church as one. And here's what he's saying. He's telling them that the work that we do together is what God is doing among us. And I'll give you one other verse to share this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22 says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you, that's a plural you, the church, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's what he's doing for us together. In him, you also, that's a singular you. Congregational accountability, personal responsibility. You are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, what God's doing in each of your hearts individually, he's drawing us together congregationally for one work one work. And I'm going to challenge you the way Paul challenged the Corinthians. I'm going to ask you to prove the genuineness of your love for the Lord through the commitment you make to serve him in our church and faithfulness and generosity and readiness. Let's get this done. We know God's brought us to this place. We know God has been faithful. We can trust that he will do what he has promised only he can do.